there could have been two or three hundred prisoners on landing at the time. They're all looking over the bars at you, you know, they're all looking, and there's that fear. I don't care who you think you are or how big of a man you are, like, you have that feeling. It's just fear, and, you know, it, it, it's a really, really, really strong, strong feeling of fear. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. They spent years in the prison system for a string of crimes linked to their chronic addiction problems. But today, James Leonard and Timmy Long are podcast sensations and their show, The Two Norries, has been hailed for tackling issues of mental health, addiction and social issues surrounding crime. In recent months, James and Timmy have been recording a groundbreaking series of interviews with serving prisoners. And today, they tell me what it's like to be back behind bars. Is prison the holiday camp that many believe it to be? And are recent photographs and videos taken on smuggled smartphones within Irish jails a true reflection of what it's like to be locked up? Today, we're talking about the reality of life in prison and the frightening atmosphere which exists behind bars. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Lads, the reason I wanted to come back and talk to you again was because we have been doing a few stories and a few podcasts on prison and a lot of these videos that are released by sometimes high-profile prisoners who would be um, convicted on serious crimes related to gangland activity. And they look as if they're having an absolute ball in prison. They're partying, they're in great form, they have phones, they have smartphones, they are... It's that whole idea that you hear all the time, that cliche that prison is a holiday camp. And um, I thought... No better men to tell me otherwise. So, say maybe start with you, Timmy. What are your experiences of being a prisoner, first of all? Um, I suppose my experiences, but last time I was in prison, they were completely different because I was in, I was in recovery. You know, I was trying to change my life around. And my experiences... Uh, Personal experience was, it was just, just do what I could just to, to survive every day, you know, like, because I, I, I was going through my own kind of struggle at the time. But looking around me at all the, the other lads, like you you'd see some guys coming in, it might be their first time coming to prison and they're petrified walking down the landing. They literally are petrified and like, I know what that feels as well, you know. Um, I was moved from Cork Prison where I had all my family, my brothers, all my friends that I grew up with, the whole lot of us on one land, and there must have been over 100. There was 100 of us there all together. To be dragged and moved straight up to Dublin into the Midlands, the biggest prison in the country, and not know nobody. And I remember walking down that landing, like, and there could have been two or 300 prisoners on landing at the time. If I'm right, yeah, I think it was about 200. And they're all looking over the bars at you, you know, they're all looking, and there's that fear. 
that you feel it doesn't, I don't care who you think you are or how big of a man you are. Like you have that feeling. It's just fear. And you're, it's like fight or flight. You're caught up in the fight or flight. And then you're put straight into the holding cell. And, um, you know, it, it, it's a really, really, really strong, strong feeling of fear. And it, for me, going up there at the beginning was, was tough. But once I found my feet then after a few weeks, and people seeing that I wasn't there to be getting involved in any mischief or anything. You know, I was there to to do what I needed to do to get educated and get back out and get home to my family. You know, my experience was was good, but I had family members who were in there then too, and they were strung up to bits on heroin, you know. Um, and that was a very, very, very difficult thing for me to do, you know. There's a saying goes in AA, and I was... I got, I got to the one or two AA meetings before I went into prison and some of the, the, the elders inside in the meeting were saying to me, to me, just remember oh, just people, places and things, people, places, things. Why people, like when my brothers in the landing, like I had to kind of avoid them because of, of their own condition around drugs and um, I felt very isolated because it's it's a, it's a place where it's just full of addiction. It's full of addiction because all the lads that are there are me. They were me when I was caught up in addiction. They're going through their own stuff and they're still caught up in and the drugs and the crime and whatever else, you know, and uh, it's... And the fear you're talking about, was that a fear that you'd be dragged back into that or were you fearful of people beating you up, basically, or...? I suppose... <laughs> Yeah, people beat me up. Yeah, you know when you live like uh, I lived the life of crime, Nicola. Like, and I, I, I most definitely stepped on people's toes. You know, and, and as we all know, like the, the the criminal game is is an is a very very strong ego game where you have men who want to be the bigger and the stronger man and over the group. You know, and and, and it's and you in order to be the the, the the inferior male, you know, the the alpha male, you have to kind of look and see who is the alpha male and 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 basically nearly go for them to, you know. But that's how it is. It's how it is. It's all about building yourself up and, and just be becoming somebody that's feared and recognized, you know. And and that's 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 the way I live my life. I, I wanted to be feared and recognized as somebody that you didn't mess with and um I, I understood that that was this kind of environment that I was going into and I was in fight or flight and I stayed in fight or flight consistently through a long part of my sentence because um, I was just watching myself because I, I, I could have crossed somebody while I was out there in, in, in active addiction and I, I might have even realised and, and, and next all of a sudden I'm bumping into 10 of them inside near a landing or, or in the school and you know, it's you just don't know. Like it's really, really, really. Uh, it sounds very frightening. It is. It is. It is frightening. You know, um, a lot of people ask me, "What was prison like? What was prison like?" You know, prison is a really, really difficult place for any human being. It's, 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 it's like I, I, I mentioned this to somebody before. I never felt so safe behind bars. Behind from from half a six seven o'clock when they locked the door, I was at my safest ever in my lifetime because I know I was completely protected by these 
concrete reinforced walls, big steel door, you know, like I, I, before I went to prison, I had fear that someone was going to kick in my door, guards or somebody else, that I was going to be murdered or, or all these different things, you know, because it's the life I lived. But you're going in here then and you're locked behind her. I felt so safe. But then when the door opens, that fear reappears and you're back out there and you just have to be hyper vigilant. That's the way we live. You're hyper vigilant. And particularly like if you're not using drugs to, to soothe yourself or anything like that, it can be really, really tough. But once I got to know all the lads and the landing and, and, and they got to know me and they knew I was no threat to anybody. I was just there to get in and get back out and get home to my family. I got on well, you know, there was no shit. I got on really, really well, you know, um, and... And it became a place, it became a place where you turned your life around, really, and... Yeah, and I never had any arguments with anybody here, you know, I, because, like, everybody seen me as somebody that was just there to get educated and just to, to, to heal myself. And, and I wasn't on a landing where <laughs> it was easy. Like, the landings that I were on, you had some... Some guys that were there for life and there were some other guys that it was a lot of gangland and stuff there. And, you know, they were some of the nicest people I ever met then as well. Do you know, when you get to know them, you get to know them for who they genuinely are. And and um, you start talking about them like I, I would have known a lot of these guys from looking on the Sunday world. And next all of a sudden you're face to face with them and you say, fuck. He's not fucking nothing like I would have thought he was. He's actually... He's not like what Nicola said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say that there. <laughs> but yeah, um, a lot of... Like, it's, it's 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 a crazy environment. It is it is a crazy environment. But um, I can see why people... Like, prison is, is also, like, a retreat for, for, for people that are addicted to alcohol and drugs and crime. Because there's more guys walking around at the moment who owe prison their life because it, they've been so destroyed from alcohol and drugs on the outside that when they went to the prison, they're able to get get some food into them. They're able to get clean for a while and, you know, get strong in the gym. And <laughs> it's, it's, it's unbelievable what it does if you look at it in that respect. But prison is prison at the end of the day. It can transform people physically and make them make them better. James, do you remember, um, you know, you have changed your life so dramatically as well. Um, but do you remember going in there with the bravado initially when you were younger and when, you know, you were going into prison? Do you remember kind of strutting in and feeling yeah. king of the world? Yeah, when I the first, I remember the first time I was ever in prison, it was the fifth of October, two thousand and four. I was eighteen, and I didn't know how to be. And I know I was a very immature eighteen-year-old, physically and emotionally. I was like a boy, and uh, but there was a part of me excited because you know the people in the area had been. My dad wasn't out that long either. He got up in two thousand and two, so it was like almost pride, you know, to to go in there, um, and the people that we looked up to had all been to prison, so. Um, th there was an anticipation and an excitement about it and the fact that when I get out I'm going to be able to tell all the boys you know this kind of immaturity but there was a party then you're very afraid because you don't know like what's you not know, the first time you go in you know, we're all thinking like we're, we all seen the documentaries of American prisons and all these things and I I remember uh, I was walking on the yard it was the first morning I was I was in there and I walked on the yard and I was on my own and I tried to make myself look as angry and as mean as possible, you know, and I was growing with a big crosshead, which is 
against my natural nature, you know. And one of the older lads from Nottingham, Heaney came over, he says, you know what, is everything all right, John? See, I'm fine. He says, you look very angry, right? And he was like, do you know, is this how he's supposed to be? No, I'm <laughs> trying to do. Yeah, he says, man over here, right? and, and, and have a game of cards or something. And I got I got into it then easily enough after that, you know, it was never, after that it was like, prison was never a deterrent, do you know what I mean? It was never something to be afraid of. And then it was like a home from home then after a while. But when you introduced, the, when you opened up the podcast here and you were talking about um, some prisoners sending out images you know, on the camera phones and it looks like fun and all that. And, you know, but we used to do that as well, you know. You do about 50 press-ups in the muscle top and take, you know, with the camera phone. Back in the day, 2005, 2006, 2007, the old camera phones, a lot of pixelated image, but... Pre-2008, I would say, it was much different than post-2008. Because I, I don't know if you remember, and I don't want to say no names to upset anybody, but a well-known criminal rang Joe Duffy from his cell in Port Leash. Well, the morning after he did that, he was inside that time, the morning after he did that, the prison was tumbled upside down. And it, since then, it's been very hard. And they brought in stiff sentences as well, if you're caught with a phone, like you can get up two years out of that your sentence. Um, and I remember there was some amount of phones. But before that, it was very easy to get a phone. The phones used to be passed around and people used to be very kind of uh, shouting out the cell window. Have you got the pain? You know, people were kind of careless about it. But after that, that piece with Joe Duffy from Port Leash Prison, that was a nightmare for the IPS, I'd say, and the government, the Department of Justice. And they really cracked down after that. But I guess it still But happens. when you were taking those photographs and you were, you know, doing your press-ups and... Yeah. <laughs> you look, yeah, looking cross, putting on your best face or whatever. Yeah. What was your, were you hoping that they would be sent out to, I mean, were you hoping to get the likes of that, maybe not to the Sunday world, but, you know, or were you? No, it's, it was mainly for women, Nicola. It was mainly uh-huh. like for street credibility amongst your friends. Oh, look at James, he's in prison, you know, and he, he's, he's a mad thing, isn't he? You know, that's all it was. You know, when you're so these pictures like would, be, would be sent around women and you'd look well and you'd be like... Yeah, yeah. Sort of and, like your, a, and your friends a dating let's, let's, app. Let's say if you were if you were in prison and it was a Friday night, your friends are out drinking, and then you send them. I don't know. It makes you not feel so bad that you're not out there. I don't know, and it kind of builds a connection. But when you're immature like that, and like no matter who you are, your no matter who you are in society, everybody wants to have something that they can be proud of, something that they can hang their hat on, or that they can show off about, or you know. And when you're in an environment like where we were from, the mentalities we had, all we had really was drugs. It was like, oh, I can get the most drugs. I can get the best prescriptions. I can get the strongest gear. And when you're in prison, oh, look at me, I'm in prison, but it's not bothering me. That was the big thing. It's like, I can do my whack. You know, I'm not a rough head. And look, here I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove it. And here's me having great fun. But it's really, it's all a facade, to be honest, Nicola. Because nobody wants to be in prison. Nobody enjoys prison. And all that is... Is it's a facade, and, and Timmy said it himself. No matter who you are, like there's nobody wants to be in prison, um, and there is a part of it that's isolated and lonely. And you think about what could have been, um, and all that stuff. Uh, them, them social media posts, them photographs. That's all to kind of take the your mind off it. But it's all lie. It's all a lie. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can. I can just imagine the amount of time you must have on your own and time to think and reflect and. Obviously, that's why people use drugs and drink and everything to to deal with that. But 
there must be times, whether you're on drugs, you're taking them or you're not, that you have those moments of what am I doing here? And the people that you've left behind then outside and... Yeah, do you know, for me, because all my sentences was small, under 12 months, it was all related to addiction, so it would have been very frequent. And every time you go in, it's like, you're there for a couple of weeks and obviously you're detoxing from drugs and you've and it's, you're walking around and you're thinking, fucking hell, here I, I'm here again, you know what I mean? And it takes you, it takes you a couple of weeks, but then you you get into it, you know, and as Timmy said, you, you start to regenerate physically and you just kind of get into the motions of it, then the school, the gym, and, and, and you just get into the routine of it. Um, but when you get out then, it's the, you, you're, you lack the structure and the safety, what Timmy talked about. And when you get out then, you don't have the life skills or the supports. It's very hard then, and you get back into addiction, that's all you know. It's like a Groundhog Day, nearly. Yeah. Um, so on your podcast, The Two Naris, which is doing fantastically well, and I'm jealous of all your fancy equipment and all the rest of it, <laughs> um, but you're working on a project at the moment which is bringing you back into the prisons as, um, you know, podcasters and as communicators and as people who are trying to educate us on the kind of reasons that people end up in prison. And um, I've just watched a little preview of some of the stuff you've done, which is really interesting. But a few things um, struck me. And you talk about that age group, that 18 to 23, 24, whatever it is when we eventually grow up. I mean, you you know, you can go on to your 30s, really, in that semi-arrested development. Like, just because you go from 18 to 19 doesn't mean you're all of a sudden an adult, and yet you're treated that way within the prison system. Um and you speak about that immaturity that is there with sort of teenagers and very young young adults. Like, is it right that they are being imprisoned with older criminals who, you know, maybe are going to teach them a thing or two um, and maybe influence them even further? Um, I think in lieu of another option, like... For the for the, the guy that we did a prison uh, a prison podcast with in Cork Prison, he was in for a violent crime. So I think it's very hard to um, look for alternatives to prison for a violent crime. You know, I think we can look for alternatives to prison for loads of crimes, but violence is probably a hard argument to make. But for loads of other things, I think a restorative piece might be more beneficial. You know, like we did a podcast the other day with a school teacher uh, and a principal from Knockinahini. And they have restorative practice in the school. So when the young people are getting in trouble or they're stepping out of line or they're bullying or whatever, they sit them down with the victim or the teacher or whoever and they're able to understand the impact of their actions and they mature, you know, emotionally and everything through that. That has way more of an impact than suspending somebody for a week, you know. And I often thought, like, if I had to sat down across from somebody's car that was taken, that we took, or somebody that we, you know, robbed or whatever, a shop that we stole from or whatever, and then sat down across from us and said, look, you know, you took my car and, you know, that my livelihood is attached to it. Now I can't bring the kids to school. They're missing the football. I can't go to work. And, like, every, you know maybe that would have a way more of an impact on me because I'm not a cold-hearted animal. Very few people are. And going to court and getting prison time when you're... It's just the occupational hazard that you accept. But that human-to-human piece could be used for a lot of crimes. But for this particular person, they can understand why the sentence... Why he did get a sentence. But it was, in, it was, a, it was a huge sentence he got for a young man. 
Um, and as he said himself, he spent the first few years of his sentence traveling around Ireland in different prisons. He couldn't settle. He was immature. He was full of testosterone. And then after, by the time we get 23, 24, started to calm down a small bit, come to Cork prison, which he says is way quieter than all, all the other ones that he was in. And that really helped him settle down. But yeah, when somebody goes to prison, they might go in for uh, a crime, but then they learn how to do loads of other crimes as well. And, you know, it can be a breeding ground for criminality, of course. And Timmy, literacy, um, it occurs to me, is a recurring theme in a lot of young people going to prison. They will fall out of the education system without the ability to read or write. I mean, they're they're going even into secondary school without that ability and they're they're behind, they're dropping out early. For you, was that something that was, did you find that was something, or, or now can you look back and see that was something that was very debilitating? Um, definitely. At this, like I was at this stage where I knew my old lifestyle was never going to support me financially anymore. You know, um, and, and I also was sick of not being able to read things properly. You know, I never even felt out an application. You know, I never, ever, I was 30, 32 at this stage, 31, 32, and I'd never filled out an application for anything in my lifetime. I had to get other people to do them. And even, even I remember at the beginning in, in school, just learning the ABCs with the teacher inside in the school and learning the months of the year, because I never needed to know these things because of the, the, the life I, I was living you know, and I started to feel more confident in myself. I started really testing the waters as well with my reading. You know, they gave me a lot of audio books as well because reading was very difficult for me because I, I couldn't really sit still for, for, for very much time. But education is critical for the likes of us. And I think there's another important thing needs to be put into the prison system because we've prisoners... I'd say maybe 80% of them have are dyslexic, are severely dyslexic. And I never came across an educational psychologist whilst in prison. And when I was diagnosed with dyslexia in, in third level education, it helped me so much to understand myself in terms of, I used to call myself stupid and tick, you know, when I found out I was dyslexic, I, I knew then I had a learning difference, you know, and I was able to say, okay, I looked at the, the attributes to dyslexia and, and, and I said, it's grand, no, there's no, you don't, there's short-term memory and another few other things. And I said, it's okay not to be the way I am. You know, I know that I have a learning difficulty and it's fine. But I think within the prison system, the, the school is probably one of the most important things to help people to understand life. And it also educated me in terms of how to how to become more of a spiritual human being, you know, because there was words I learned that I would have never learned, you know, and uh, it helped me to grow as a human being and understand life more. And it gave me other opportunities then, you know, and I think it's critical for anybody going into prison that cannot learn that, that that can't read or write to start at some stage. And 
is is it okay to admit that in prison? I mean, is is there a lot of people in the same boat? Is it okay to go to the schools? It's a choice, obviously, to take up whatever educations you want. But do you know? Are you laughed at? Or I mean, is there is there that kind of school bully, schoolyard bullying thing going on? No, there's not. Do you know why there's not? Because it's so frequent. There's so many prisoners in there that cannot read or write that it's. It's not like your normal society where a child can't read or write and, and all the other... Like, you're getting the kid in school, you know, the kid that's in school and he can't read and write. You're getting all them kids in prison. You know, you're getting all the guys that can't read and write in, in normal school in prison at the one time and they're all there. You know, we had... I think the Midlands had 900 prisoners the time I was in there or something to that nature. E-wings just have to be built. You know, and this school rarely would have maybe 20 to 30 lads up there, you know. Um, and you'd see some guys really making an effort. And I see other guys then that were completely, completely starting at the bottom with the Annenberry, like, you know. And I used to sit there and I was a little bit more developed in the Annenberry. And and I'd look at these lads and i say, fair, fair, fair fucking play to these fellas, like, you know. And I knew how difficult it was because it was also difficult for me because, you know, I used to, there's a thing then used to happen to me. I used to, when I come up against any form of difficulty, like it may be a, a spelling or a maths problem or whatever, I just freeze. My whole mind would just go blank and that would make me even more frustrated. And I'd, well, how many times I threw the books away and the teachers would say, come down to the classes. I was supposed to do the leaving cert then one module in, in history and I packed her up one day. I said I had enough because I, I was having to study in the cell and fucking, oh, no, I'm not doing this no more. I'm packing her up. And they actually made it their business to get on to the officers to come into the cell and say to me, like, they said, don't worry, we'll come up to the school. Because they see that I was really making an effort. And they put the work in and, and I got a lot, a lot of help. And, and, and I see that a lot with the teachers in any prison. The teachers in the prison are absolutely brilliant. And that's, because they understand, they're trauma-informed, a lot of them as well, because they know what they're going into, you know, and it's absolutely fantastic, you know. James, have you any idea what sort of percentage of prisoners do take advantage of the facilities that are available to them within the prisons? I mean, there is courses in anger management, um, you know, and there's psychological help for people, there's counselling, there's all these things, there's art classes. You Maybe you're introduced to a skill that you never really knew you had and for the first time in your life, maybe in prison, that's the place where you can realise that there's something you're quite good at. But do is there a lot of prisoners who just aren't able or don't want the help that's available or, or, or do most of them try? In my experience, the school was always very popular. Um, you'd always have in Cork there was no obligation to get out of the cell if you didn't want to if you didn't want to in Cork you could stay in your cell 24 hours of the day 7 days of the week in other prisons around Ireland you have to get out of the cell and do something if, if, even if it's go to the yard but in my experience school was always a very busy place and a, most prisoners would get, be involved in either the gym or the school or both for me I would go to both the, maybe the school in the morning the gym in the afternoon but I never did any any of the academic stuff. Like with him, I was over there doing crafts and art and uh, cooking and stuff like that, you know. 
And um, with literacy, I remember they were recruiting people to do the junior sort. And over in the school, I think I was the only one there that actually had a leaving sort. So literacy is a big problem. Now at the moment, we're we're um, we're going delivering an introduction to addiction studies course on Car Prison in January. So it's a collaboration between my employer, Cool Mine, the HSC, UCC, and Cork ETB. So it'll be eight week course. Um, but the the point, lead noting it, um, I just wanted to make it accessible for everybody. So the it's a certificate of attendance. But if you want to do assessment at the end. You can write if you want. You can write maybe a, a personal reflection on what you thought of the course or what it brought up for you. You could do a piece of art. You could do write, make something with clay. You could paint something. You could write a poem. You could do anything. Because then it includes everybody. You don't have to be able to read and write to sit down and talk about addiction, recovery, talk about your experiences and your hopes for the future and how you can navigate all that when you get out. Because when people hear education and school, it can bring up a lot of fear. Like when we spoke to the that um, traveller guy that we had on the podcast in the prison, he had terrible experiences in school where it was a very traumatising environment. The racism he, he uh, experienced on behalf of the students and the teachers. And like, you can imagine for him thinking to going back to school, but Timmy is right. School, like, going back to education as an adult in general is a way better experience anyway. Because the teachers, you're, it's, it's not more non-hierarchical and it's more of a relationship that you build. Whereas when you're a child, you're powerless and teachers can say things and you've no real agency in it. But when you're an adult, you don't have to be there if you don't want to. And that's a good bit of, uh, that's a, a nice place to be. Plus then you select the things you want to do, not that you have to do. And I think that was a big thing. And um, people like in, in criminology, there's a, a guy called Giordano or Giordano, but he talks about like, finding a hook for change, you know, as part of the desistance and recovery process. And certainly for me and for Timmy and for loads of people we know, education can be that hook for change because it gives, it fills your day and your weekends, as we all know, because we've you know anybody who's done education, it, in the early, in your early recovery, early desistance from crime, it just gives you a purpose. Then it equips you with new skills, academic writing, obviously, but time management, planning, structuring your day you know all these are very transferable skills um and by the time you get to the end of it then you have a qualification you have job prospects so for me education was my hook for change i'd say it's the same for timmy timmy was in education for six or seven years i was the same um and for the people that we did the podcast with in the prisons education was a big part of what they did but not only that Something that both of them spoke about, and you might have picked up on that, Nicola, was they're both um, involved in the Samaritans on the listener program. So it's it's at any given moment, a prisoner can brand a buzzer and, and request to speak with the listener. And the listener is there to de-escalate violent, violence or media between feuds. Um, they can also talk to people that are feeling depressed or down or anything at all. And it helps you know, to they build rapport with the prisoner and you know it's it's obviously has a good effect on the landing and these lads uh, and and the lady we spoke to in Limerick prison it gives them a sense of pride and it gives them a sense of right I'm actually a leader here now you know people actually trust me and you carry that with you when you get out you say you know what the old person that addiction that nobody could trust that person is gone this is a new person now and I had so much trust in people you know look look up to me now and I'm going to carry that on into the future 
And even that traveller guy, again, like, he was involved in the traveller mediation service, you know, so going from being in a feud himself to now mediating between feuds, like, it shows the, when you take people out of the violent environment and the poverty and all the addiction and mental health at home, and you you put some supports around them um, and try to nurture it, then they can become their true selves. And it's like what Timmy said, you know, you might... You might look at somebody from the outside, you think, fucking, that's a bad crime, and you could be loaded with judgment. But after a few years in prison, you begin to see the true person, you know, and sometimes it can be very hard to... And I, I don't know how many people I met, and you get to really like them, and then you hear what they're in for, and you think, fucking hell, that's bad. But then you're trying to... It's not the same person, you know, and it's, it's very hard. It creates a kind of an incongruence, like, he did that, but he's this person, which just shows when, when people get out and they're in that madness, you know, all bets are off. It sounds like, you know, if you if you can if you can get to a point that you can use it correctly, it's a place of hope. Mm. And maybe we have a very wrong view of prison from the outside world. Well, the last thing I want now, Nicola, is for somebody to listen to this podcast and think, oh, prison is great, and to get all this education and stuff like that. As we've said earlier on, people are in prison, they're taken from their families, they are sometimes sent to prison in their home county and transferred around the country. No visits, the violence, the addiction and all these, the traumas and all these things, the feud and the bullying and all these things that people have witnessed and experienced on a daily basis. But like, I don't know if you've ever come across uh, Viktor Frankl, uh, a psychiatrist that was in Auschwitz. Uh, he wrote a book, Man's Search for Meaning. But even in a shithole like that, you have to find something, you know, and Timmy found it through the psychology services, A, in meditation, and other people find it through the Samaritans or the education. But you find one thing to hold on to to get you through it. But you're in a shitty environment as well. And let's not, get away, let's not take away from that, you know. And Timmy, how did you find going back into prison um, and being able to come, you know, walk out when you were finished your interview, I suppose? It must have been a very different experience. Yeah, it was. Um, I... I actually went in a number of years ago with the Cork Alliance, who are a charity based here in Cork. They help prisoners. And they asked me, would I go in for an art exhibition? But when I went in that time, the whole school was opened. I was in, in front of all the lads that I would have been in prison with previously, and a lot of them who I drugged with and fucking was involved in crime with. And they're all saying, what are you doing back in? Do you know, they didn't realise I was in here, you know, as part of this big presentation for the, for art. And um, at that point, I felt a little bit overwhelmed and I could not wait to get back out, you know. I knew I could get back out, but I, I just, I, I, I didn't like the way I was feeling in my body at the time. But when we started to go in then to do podcasts, it was completely different again because I was actually, after growing another little bit in myself and you know I knew that we were going in there to really really to do something good you know to show people the other side of the people that are in prison you know a lot of these people were completely unaware of their actions in previous in, in their previous life you know they were probably strung out in heroin or crack or, or, or whatever it doesn't matter what it is and they had no awareness. A lot of the people that are strung up like that, they actually don't even care if they're 
alive or die. And they, they have no concept of the, the amount of people they're hurting or what they're doing to people or how, how it's actually really destroying people's lives. But when you become aware, when you wake up and you become aware and, uh, you know, it's, it's a different story. But it was just amazing to see the transformation of some of the prisoners. And I could see myself, particularly in the guy, the guy we had in Cork prison, because as James said earlier, he was after doing a circuit of the country for three and a half years. You know, that's what prisons do when a, a prisoner is very unsettled and, and they just keep shifting to the block, to the block, to the here, everywhere. And he went through that and to see him settled. And I was looking at him, John, his, he was speaking the interview and I could see a real sense of of stillness within within him. He was really after calming down. He was going from that young man full of testosterone to this this man who was settled in himself. Was after starting to get a bit of an idea of what he really wanted to do for the rest of his life, and um, it was fantastic. And that makes my experience going back into the prison and listening to these people. Um, one of the best things I, I I do regarding this podcast is because I can I I I'm now starting to realize like that it not just because of me and James but there's others as well who are really starting to change within the prison system. It's working in some ways for some people, but as we said earlier, it's also a, a breeding ground then for for young criminals where they go on and meet criminals that are more more up the ladder and they can get source things much more easier and cheaper and all these things but but that's the other side of it but from what we 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 see when we go in there um, and we, when we go in we we meet the governors we meet the, the people in the school the press officer and they're absolutely 100% behind these prisoners that are really trying to get their lives back in order like and I could see, I was chatting to one governor at one stage and he was telling me, like, he never sees such a change in a prisoner than that lad. He said to me, it's like, it's it's unbelievable. When he came here, he was mad and no, he's grand, he's in the Red Cross and all these other things. And it's phenomenal. And, and it's great. Me and James are privileged to be able to go in and, and see this change in, in the inside, you know. And to do that, though, to make that transition, it seems that you have to separate yourself from that old life, which could, well, in your case, it was people you knew, your brothers, you had to remove yourself from them. It must be really difficult to do that if you're in a big gang that are all together in the one prison and to try and extricate yourself in that confined and claustrophobic um, situation. You know what happens, Nicola, right? And, and, and this is my understanding of it. That was our norm back then, that madness, the crime, drugs. That was our norm, right? The lads were looking at me now, right? And Timmy's not even talking about crime or anymore or drugs, right? And a lot of them thought I was after going to God, going to religion, a born-again Christian. And they, they actually fucking, they actually kept away from me. Timmy's after losing his fucking marbles, leaving him off his grand. But, like, all I was doing was really seeing that my old environment and what I was doing wasn't something I wanted to be in. I had no interest in anymore. And I, I now had to find something else 
to to be able to sort support my my family with you know and and education was that route and, and um, but yeah the lads thought I was after losing my mind and 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 that was the easy way there was no shit then they just said nah he's mad he's he's really after losing his head and it was grand you know because there was no kind of on initiation from a gang or anything like that it was just nah he leave him off he's after losing he's his head mad. yeah that was literally <laughs> how it that. was yeah. But James, it must be, it must take an incredible strength of character if you're in that sort of a situation to remove yourself from a gang. And we know there's, you know, in, in certain prisons, there are massive gangs now all being held together, really. And they must move and, you know, operate in that group mentality, you know, and it must be, it must take a huge strength to decide that you're going to take yourself out of that. Oh, definitely. Like if you're involved in a gang and you're in a prison with a lot of gang members, how do you actually walk away from that? You're actually better off going to Cork Prison or going to Castlery or somewhere miles away and you've a fighting chance. And I think that was the case with the lad we spoke to, you know. He went to all these other prisons where there was all this kind of dynamic in terms of violence and that. But in Cork, we don't really have a gang gang culture, you know. And I think it probably is a good place, relatively speaking, a quieter prison than the rest. They don't have that. Like, obviously, you have incidences of violence and drugs and stuff like that. But nowhere next that you would have in the Dublin prisons or in the Midlands prisons especially. So that worked for that guy. I don't know if you've come across uh, Dr. Sean Redmond's uh, Greentown report, but he he writes about how young people get caught up in gangs and how they find it so difficult to get out of it. But that can be the same in prison. You know, you might be in prison, you might be fed up with your life of it, but how do you actually escape it? Get out of it and do what? With who? Do you know what I mean? Maybe your family are caught up in it, your wider family, your friends, maybe this all you know and as bad as it is. So what else am I going to do? Do you know but if you can be taken out of that context, like we spoke earlier on, you you, you get a fighting chance. But I remember when when we were going into the prison, I was thinking to myself, I had I did I didn't have all the anxiety I thought I would. I'd say if it was twelve months ago, it would have been different, because I often know when we started out, especially when um, the psychology services in the prison asked for permission to stream the podcast around the Irish prisons, so we said go for it. I often thought, like, I wonder what they think of us, you know. Do they look at us and think, who the fuck do the two boys think they are? But we got a lot of good feedback, especially from Castlery, Cork and Mountjoy, that was going down really well. So when I was going into Cork Prison, then it was like, you know what, it's actually grand. We're just, we're just ourselves. We don't think we're anything else. And we'll be received well. As it happens, we didn't meet any prisoners only because of lockdown and everything was restricted. So we only met the guy... But I did have a few officers come over to me that I knew. And they were like, James, great to see you. I don't know, great to see you doing well and all this stuff. That, I haven't seen them for years. So that was that was nice. But I was way more comfortable doing it now. But at the start, I, I always thought, like, what do they think of us? But apparently it's gone down well. Are there smells and sounds that, you know, remind you of darker days? Oh, yeah. It's the jangling and the doors and the blasting the radios and the shouting under the cell doors and all these noises you associate. It does it does spark memories. Um and the smells of you know the, the fish fingers or the chicken Kiev or the wedges or the coddle or whatever has been made and wafting around, you know, and then you're waiting and you know, 
you're waiting between gates, you're waiting for officers and the walkie-talkies and all these associations that you haven't heard for 10 years start sparking memories, you know, and it's weird. It, it is very strange. It's a very strange place to be, but you're in a place then where there's no shackles, there's no cuffs, there's no, you're not going into the choke, you're not going into a holding cell. You're being left out. The officers have been really nice to you. I mean, when we went up the Limerick prison, we went, we, we went to the library to do a podcast with the female prisoner. Did every selection of biscuit on the table for us. They did tea, coffee, varieties of coffee and all like that. They had they had water and they put on a lovely spread for us. It was great hospitality. But you know, it gets you thinking, right? The, the two governors we spoke to, like, did see that this is beneficial for the prisoners and they're open to the idea of actually doing it for the prisoner. They don't want people coming back to prison. Do you know what I mean? They want to see people progressing on with their lives and they see the value of, of our podcast, you know, by giving people a platform like myself and Timmy and many others that actually shows and that they can relate with. And then maybe they want to do the psychology services or maybe they'll go to the school or maybe they'll want to do the, the, you know, the listener program or the mediation or the Red Cross or whatever, you know. So it's, it's, a, it's a privilege to be asked to go in there and it's a privilege to speak with some of the prisoners. And finally, maybe, um, Timmy, as a prisoner in, in, as I call them, the darker days, how important or what can family members do for you on the outside and what encouragement can they give you? Um, I was fortunate that my wife, uh, she was my partner back then, she stood by me, you know, because I always say this in my in my last prison sentence, um, I was in early recovery from alcohol and drugs, and and I was going through a lot of trauma. You know, I was bringing a lot of my past was coming back up, and she would travel up the Port Leash every single Saturday with two young babies inside in the back of the car for three hours up and three hours back down it, without failure for years and just to, just to know that there's somebody really it showed me that somebody genuinely really cared for me you know that she was going through that that long journey on her, on her day off on a Saturday she was in minding kids all week and she, she'd come up and, and she'd throw whatever few quid she had in you know I would never take anything but it was critical in, in a number of respects because she was also, if, if she'd, if I'd got a bad phone call and she'd turned around to me and said, um, well, to me, I don't think it's going to work out at all. Nicola, that would have been a great opportunity for me to go back on the drugs, you know, and, you know, and that's the truth. And that was the only, but as I kind of developed and got stronger and stronger, I, I, I started doing it for myself. But to have a family member on the outside, that's shown an interest in you. You know, it's unbelievable. Like, there's men inside in the prison, they're writing to their women. You should see the love song, the, 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 the romance. No, the minute they get out of prison, then the romance is dropped. The minute they tell, about, tell her about the song you wrote to me. <laughs> oh, I wrote, wrote, I wrote a love song and all for her. I won't sing it, no, because uh, she's she's in the other room, she hears me, she'll And fuck. she come in and hit you on the head <laughs> with a saucepan. Oh, she will <laughs> bury me, she will. Um, but I, I, yeah, yeah, do you know, I wrote her a love song. Um, while I was there I learned the guitar as well while I was in prison and I wrote her a love song and I sang her for she was more mortified now than I was when I was singing it but uh, yeah she was family is critical Nicola family and kids 
And, and for, for, for any prisoner, particularly that's really, really trying to get his life back together, that's even more important for him to have his family around him and to give him some encouragement. Because if he, if he doesn't get that encouragement from the family, he'll say, Asher, what's the point? I might as well go back to me all the ways. There's no need for me to keep going. No one gives a fuck, you know. Everyone needs somebody to believe in them, don't they? Exactly, exactly. You know, so it's important. James, you have an upcoming tour. Tell me about that. We do the Tunaries podcast, changing the conversation tour 2022. So it's our first tour. We've done a couple of lives, one with yourself. Mm-hmm. This is our first proper tour. Um, so on the 8th of January, we're in the O'Reilly Theatre in Dublin as part of the first Fortnite Festival. And on the 14th of January, the following week, we're in the Theatre Royal in Waterford. The 12th of February, the Cork Opera House, which is a Saturday night. And on the 19th of February, the following Saturday, at the Gallimant Hotel in Galway. And we've got some amazing guests that I'm not allowed to share with you at the moment, but I'll give you a... Uh, I'll give you a show before anybody else. Don't worry about that. Give me the exclusive, please. What Tunaries? Sorry, Tunaries.com for the tickets after the weekend. You're taking the Tunaries on the road, basically. You're hitting the road, the two of you. And, and adding a big production to it. Love it. Yeah. Listen, wishing you absolutely all the best in that. And I think um, it's, it's fascinating for us to get that other side. Yeah. Uh, that maybe doesn't make it into the pages of Sunday World too often, but it makes it into Crime World at least. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've changed too. You did, you did, well done. Your true self has emerged. That's it. <laughs> Listen, guys, thanks a million as always. Thank you, No Nick. problem, no problem, thanks. Thanks a million. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. If you like the podcast and love true crime, why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Have you heard the news? The Irish Independent has a new podcast. We're not in the fairy tale business as journalists. We're in the truth business and the question were there. 20 minutes, five days a week, the Indo Daily takes you beyond the headlines and into Ireland's most talked about stories. So 25 years on, people are absolutely fascinated again with this case. The Indo Daily podcast, available on Spotify, Apple, independent.ie and wherever you get your podcasts.